So for the after Asr series, we're going to continue where we had left off last year. And if you uh, either had attended or listened online to the um, series from last year, we basically covered uh, a text of Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah. Um, and this is it right here. But it's Al-Arba'in Fi Usul al-Deen. And the 40 principles of deen. So most of you probably know Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, one of the foremost scholars of, uh, of our ummah. And it, he came, he was sent, or you could say he came at a time where the ummah was struggling uh, academically, intellectually, and he is considered someone who preserved this deen. Hujjat al-Islam is his title, his nickname. Someone who was a proof of Islam. And uh, bear in mind, this was about the turn of the millennium, essentially, around 1050 or so. He had passed away in the year 505 Hijri. Uh, and so he has this very monumental series called Ihya Ulum al-Din that most of you have probably heard of. It's one of the most appreciated works in our deen uh, by uh, traditionals and contemporaries alike. And it's a very dense text. It's four volumes, and each volume has 10 chapters. And he himself acknowledges that it's very dense. The average person won't be able to actually read it and interpret it. So then he had come up with basically these, uh, these abbreviated versions that contained a lot of the principles that were in his text. So for instance, there's a famous book called Bidayatul Hidayah, uh, The Beginnings of Guidance. This is based off of Yahya al-Badid that Imam Ghazali himself wrote so that the common person could sort of understand it. So uh, the, this one, Al-Arba'in Fi Usul al-Din, 40 Principles of the Religion, Imam Ghazali himself wrote, and it mimics Yahya al-Din very closely. So most of the principles that are in Yahya al-Din you'll find in here. Now this, this text was translated about two years ago, and last year uh, we had, so what he does in this text is he divides it into different sections. And last year we had covered the blameworthy traits of, the per, of, of a human being. And there were about nine or 10 that we had covered last year. And this year we're gonna cover, inshallah, praiseworthy traits. I just wanna remind ourselves the blameworthy traits that we covered last year. Uh, and these are available online if you weren't able to listen in or participate. It's all available on the website. Um, so we had covered uh, the following blameworthy traits, which covered loquaciousness or speaking too much. We covered anger. We covered envy or hasad. We covered stinginess, which is bukhul, and, and love of wealth, hubbul mal. We covered love of status, hubbul jah. We covered love of this world, hubbul dunya. We covered pride, which is kibr. We covered self-admiration, which is ajab, uh, and ostentation, which is riyah. So these are all blameworthy traits of the human being, and each one we had covered spent a lot of time on. And he, the next section that, inshallah, we're hoping to embark on this Ramadan is our praiseworthy character traits. Praiseworthy character traits. He titles the session Fil Akhlaq al Mahmuda. Those are the praiseworthy. Now, we'll cover, inshallah, one section each evening. And I want you to bear in mind that this is very dense. So, some of the material, it's difficult to understand. In fact, you have to read it four or five times over to actually maybe understand the, what, what he's getting at. So I'll, I'll, I've sort of highlighted some of the key points, and inshallah we'll try to elaborate on it so that all of us, myself first and foremost, can take something back. Some of the points are going to be very subtle. Um, so again, these are, these are 10 praiseworthy traits of the human being, of the believer. 
The first one that Imam Ghazali rahimahullah, he'll cover is repentance and tawbah. Repentance or tawbah. Now, uh, we'll read the text, pause, brief explanation, and then continue. That's the, that's the method. And we'll, we'll, inshallah, it won't be too long. So, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The first principle, repentance, at-tawbah. And by the way, there is an Arabic text as well. If anyone's interested, I can share it with them. It's actually helpful to reference the Arabic text because the translation can only go so far. But if anyone's interested, I can share that, uh, the Arabic text with them, inshallah. Okay, tawbah, repentance. Indeed, repentance is the beginning of the road for travelers and the key to happiness for those who desire Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, indeed, repentance, tawbah, is the beginning of, of the road for travelers. Look, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala designed us in this world, we live in this world for a period of time. And he sent us here as essentially travelers. We're traveling, we're traversing time, right? We start at point zero and we reach point 50 or 60 or 70 years of age. Everyone's different. But we're basically traversing time. We're travelers through time. And he says that repentance is the beginning of the road for travelers and the key to happiness for those that desire Allah. So you're either a traveler who's traversing through time or you're a tr you are a traveler who is traversing this deen and the, the path of this deen, right? As traversed by the Prophet So he says that repentance is the first step along the way. Meaning if a person makes a decision in their life that now Allah Ta'ala is their goal and their focus in life is, to, is this deen, then the first step that they have to take is they have to perform a tawbah. They have to perform a tawbah. In the sense that they have to decide that, look, I've lived a life that was against the commandments of Allah Ta'ala, and now I want to turn back to my Allah. Tawbah, this applies specifically for believers, but broadly you can even apply this to someone who accepts Islam as well, because what is a person who's accepting Islam doing? They're essentially doing tawbah when they're taking the shahada. They're telling Allah, they're telling themselves that I've lived a life against Allah, and now I'm turning back toward my true creator. Uh, and it is a key to happiness for those who desire Allah. Now you wonder, how is tawbah, which is repentance, how is it the key to happiness? It's because it gives the believer the ability to remove everything that had happened before. And if you look at one of the major causes of sadness in this world, it's because of a person's prior mistakes. And this applies very universally. People often lament over mistakes that they've made in the past or poor decisions that they've made in the past. And as a result of those, they carry those with them for years and years and years and years. And they're always thinking about, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Right? Some mistake that you've made, some sin that you've performed. And the beauty of our deen is that Allah Ta'ala created this mechanism called tawbah. And that when a person makes tawbah, their past is gone. They're expected, you're expected to believe that all the mistakes that you've made before you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now forgiven. So you can only imagine the happiness that would come with being able to lift that burden off your shoulders. Okay, then he always, Imam Ghazali rahimahullah, whenever he brings a chapter in, and he'll do this uh, for all his chapters, and all the scholars will do this, they'll begin by mentioning a few ayahs of the Qur'an, and then a few hadith, and then they'll go into their own. So he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَّهِرِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala surely loves the one who repents, the repentant, and loves those who purify themselves. He subhanahu wa ta'ala also said, وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا That repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of you, jami'a, collectively, all of you should repent toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he says, the Prophet ﷺ said, The repentant one is Allah's beloved. And the one who repents from a sin is like he who has no sin. 
This is the hadith of the Prophet It comes in Ibn Majah. That the, the one who repents from a sin, it's as if, it's like there's no sin upon them. They never even performed that sin to begin with. And we know this from many hadith that support this. That when a person repents from a mistake that they've made, the angels are required to erase it from their record. And not only are they required to erase it, you know, if you erase, if you, if you're, uh, if you, um, it doesn't happen with word processing, but if you're actually writing a letter or you're writing a, a text and then you decide to erase something with your pencil and then you continue writing, there's an area that's blank. But somebody could look back at it and say, hey, what was there before? Right? And so if the angels just erase something and in your book of deeds it's still an empty space, well, then somebody could look back, you know, on the day of judgment, you could look back and say, oh, there, you must have done something wrong. It's just we don't have evidence of it right now, but there's something was there. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him to play, replace that with something positive in that person's deeds because he doesn't want even the possibility, the memory of that deed, to, 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 the, that sin to actually uh, live on. So uh, a person who repents from sin is like a person that has no sin at all. So he continues, the reality of repentance, of tawbah, the reality of repentance is returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the path of remoteness to the path of nearness. Again, the reality of repentance is returning to Allah from the path of remoteness to the path of nearness. Now, all of us were near to Allah ta'ala, right? We were all born on the fitrah, pure. And at least until we, were, we had reached maturity, we were, we, um, there was no possibility of us committing a sin. Nothing actually went into our, our, our book. But then after that, so you, you start off, your default state is that you're close to Allah, right? Every child is this way. You start off on the fitrah, you're very near to Allah. And then what happens is you turn away from Allah. And every human being does this. You distance yourself from Allah. And so Imam Ghazali is saying the reality of repentance is that you are returning to Allah. You are returning back to Allah Ta'ala, that Allah Ta'ala that you were initially connected with. From the path of remoteness to the path of nearness. Yet it has a pillar, a starting point, and completion. Its starting point is faith, which means the radiation of, light, of the light of realization. Up, uh, sorry, its starting point is, is faith, which means the, re, the radiation of the light of realization upon the heart until it becomes clear to it that sins are a destructive poison. From this, the fire of fear and regret are ignited. Okay. So what he's saying is that the first, you know, we talked about, many people, you might have heard before, that there's really like three steps of tawbah, three steps that a person has to take to repent, right? You've heard this. So this is what he's covering in this section, the three steps. It's not worded that way, but that's what's intended. So he says it has a starting point and a completion point. Its starting point is faith, which means the radiation of light, of realization upon the heart until it becomes clear to it that sins are a destructive poison. So the first step is recognizing a sin for a sin. Recognizing an evil for evil, for an evil. And that's uh, the most difficult step. When a person gets caught up in a particular sin, the event, initially you'll realize that, look, this is something I have to leave. But as you perpetuate in that sin, you reach a point where it's hard for you to distinguish right from wrong because you're that engrossed in sin. You're that engrossed in heedlessness of Allah. So the first step is that you have to recognize sin for sin, that this is a destructive poison that will destroy you. You have to recognize it that way. And he's mentioning that this is a realization that comes upon the heart because not everyone sees it. Oftentimes we're blinded to it, and that's the worst state to be in. When It's one thing to, to uh, involve yourself in a sin, 
right? And then you're able to recognize that it's sin. You perpetuate that sin, but you still recognize that this is evil. But it's another thing to involve yourself in a sin and then perpetuate yourself in that sin, but not be able to distinguish that this is actually evil. You think what you're doing is actually right. Or what you're doing doesn't bother you. You take it lightly. So the first step is that your heart has to recognize that, look, this is wrong. That's the first step of Tawbah. So he says, from this, meaning that light that enters upon that heart of realization, the fire of fear and regret are ignited. Once uh, uh, you, uh, so w- once you're able to recognize that sin is sin, you will then begin to regret that you're committing that sin. And that's called nadama. That first step is nadama, which is that you regret the sin that you're involved in. And then com- comes from that, coming from that is an honest desire for uh, reparation and precaution against sin is put into effect by this fire. While the, in the act of sin is by abandoning it. So the first step is that when you're involved in a sin is that you have to, well, obviously your heart has to recognize that it's sin. And then through that realization comes nadama, which is that regret. You feel bad. You feel remorse for what you're doing. The next step is to actually turn away from that sin and abandon sin. And then the next thing he says, as for the, uh, um, as for the future, it is by the resolve to leave it off. And that third step is that you commit to Allah Ta'ala that you're not going to turn back to that sin. Right? So we've heard this before, these three main steps. So I don't want to spend too much time on it because he goes into a lot more detail with other things regarding sin that perhaps we haven't heard before. Okay, uh, and if anyone has questions, you can interrupt me like during. This is not meant to be you know, just a one-way conversation. We'll have time at the end as well, but if something's not clear, stop me right away. Okay, the next section. Repentance is obligatory for everyone. Now, Ghazali says, repentance is obligatory for everyone. If you know the reality of repentance, then it is apparent to you that it is obligatory upon everyone in every state. For this reason, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا أَيُّهَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Return to Allah Ta'ala, all of you, O believers. Okay, so this is important to realize. We think of repentance as something that we only do when we commit a sin. You know, Imam Ghazali can elucidate to us that, look, okay, so let's say that you are not actively involved in some major sin. Some of us are not, right? We're just, by Allah's tawfiq, we've left it, we've moved on. Does that mean that tawbah does not apply to us anymore? Right? That's the deception that shaitan wants to say. You've already left sin. There's nothing for you to repent for. Just keep doing what you're doing. But the command in the Quran is that for all of you, no one is spared from this uh, trait of having to seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness. You're not spared from it. Okay. As for its obligation upon everyone, this is because humanity is composed of various attributes. Animalistic, predatory, devilish, and lordly. Okay, so this is uh, human psychology 101. Imam Ghazali's figured this out, you know, uh, a decade ago. He says, desire, evil, and wickedness come from his animalistic nature. Anger, envy, enmity, and hatred come from his predatory nature. Scheming, plotting, and deceiving come from his devilish nature. Pride, dignity, love of praise, and love of power come from his lordly nature. So every human being has different natures. There's a predatory nature, an animalistic nature, a devilish nature, and a lordly nature. These things drive you toward doing things that are against what Allah Ta'ala would expect of you, or would desire of you. Let's put it that way. So it's not just simply uh, that I'm free from sin and I'm never going to be exposed to it, because my nature is such that I have these 
characteristics within me and it predisposes me to committing evil in the future. Everybody, every human has this, and no human being is spared from this. Right? That's what the Prophet ﷺ said in another hadith, that Kullu bani Adam that every single son of Adam, every human being, is a profuse sinner. You make mistakes because our nature is such that we're going to make mistakes. And Imam Ghazali is highlighting that we all have this within us. We either have animalistic desire. So, so for some of us, um, this type of this type of evil will sorry this type of nature will predominate for some of us there'll be a second a third or fourth for some of us there'll be a different phases in our life so he mentions animalistic predatory devilish and lordly so at some point some points in our life we're very animalistic in our desires right we want what animals do which is what we want to eat we want to sleep and we want to reproduce these are animalistic desires and at a younger age this is what really predominates then you have uh, the um, a predatory Right? Where, where your uh, humanistic nature is now predatory towards someone else. So that includes, like he mentions, um, uh, he mentions anger, envy, enmity, hatred. This is what you show toward other people, right? Whereas the first stage, animalistic, doesn't affect other people. It just affects you and your desire. There's animalistic desires, there's predatory, devilish, and there's lordly desires. What is the lordly desire? So he says... Uh, love of power, dignity, love of praise. These are lordly. There's some divinity to this. Some di- there's a divine nature to this. In the sense of Allah Ta'ala is all-seeing, all-knowing. And part of a human being is to have some of those attributes as well. We want to sometimes think that we're better than someone else. Or we want to sometimes think that we have status. Right? We talked about this last year when we covered love of status, which is hubbul jah. That love of status, it's not necessarily a devilish phenomena, right? It's not directly coming from a shaitan. It's that human desire to want to be exalted and elevated. Why? Because we have this affinity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's most high. He's supreme. Now, we want a part of that as well. Now, it's not practical, and that's not the human. And we have to fight that desire, but it comes from, uh, a, you could say, a divine source. Does that make sense? It's a very subtle point. It doesn't make sense. Okay, maybe, maybe it'll make sense later. Or you can go back to listen to last year's Hubbudjah talk and then we talked about it in detail. But the point is that um, some of human beings' desires come from shaitan and from the nafs, but some actually come from this desire to, be, mm, to have an affinity with Allah, but it's beyond our ability to do so. Okay, so that's for instance where love of status and sometimes that's where pride comes from as well. It's this lordly nature. Lordly nature. The foundations of all character traits are these four, and they have been firmly molded into the very substance of humanity, and one can hardly be free of them. We are not angels. Angels are free of these four, but we are not free of them. Only by the light of faith, faith obtained through reason and revelation may, be one, may one be saved from darkness. Okay, so the next section he goes on. Repentance is obligatory in every state. So this part we should really pay attention to. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah says, Repentance is obligatory... In every state, he says, he, in Arabic he uses the word wajib, wajibah. It's obligatory in every state because the human being in all of his states is not devoid of sin on limbs or in his heart. Neither is he devoid of any blameworthy character trait from which the heart may be purified. For indeed it distances from Allah. Okay. So, a few things. He says, it's obligatory in every state because the human being in all of the states is not devoid of sins on limbs or in his heart. So, he starts off by saying that it's obligatory in everybody. Like I said, that every human being should, should engage in tawbah. 
No one is spared from this. Okay, the next point he's saying is that neither is he devoid of any blameworthy character trait from which the heart must be purified, for indeed it is distances from Allah. So all those blameworthy traits that we talked about before, even if you aren't actively engaged in sin, possessing those traits warrant tawbah. If you possess any of those traits that we talked about previously, it warrants tawbah. Preoccupation with this removal is a kind of repentance because it is a return from the path of remoteness to the path of nearness. So once you decide that these traits need to be removed from my life, that in and of itself is a form of tawbah. Okay, so now he's saying, if you're free from all of that, meaning you're free from sin of the limbs, sin, sins of the eyes, the ears, etc., and you're free from even these blameworthy traits, meaning you are the, you are, you've now reached a pinnacle in deen in which you no longer are engaged in any sin, You've reached a pinnacle in deen in which your heart is pure of all blemishes and all faults and all blameworthy traits. Uh, you might think that, okay, now I'm free from this trait of having to perform tawbah. Why do I need to engage myself in tawbah anymore? So he says, if a person is free from all of those things, he is not devoid of heedlessness of Allah. You are not devoid of ghafla. Ghafla is something that you still have to do tawbah from. You're not... You haven't reached the state of, of, of not needing to do tawbah anymore. That is also the path of remoteness, and returning from it is necessary for him by way of remembrance. Meaning that the times that we spend where we are heedless of Allah, the pious predecessors before us used to do tawbah for even those times. Think about it. In a 24-hour period, let's say we're awake for 17 hours, those moments in time where we are heedless of Allah, our pious predecessors will look back upon those times, and to them it was like sin. To them, it was like sin. So they used to do tawbah. They used to repent to Allah Ta'ala from even those periods of time. Look at the, subtle, look at the subtle, uh, subtleness of their interaction with Allah. So he says, And returning from it is necessary for him by way of remembrance. It is a dhikr of Allah Ta'ala that allows a person to turn away from heedlessness, ghafla, into a state of remembrance. And this is, we talked about that last time, last year. For this reason, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتْ Remember your Lord if you forget him. Okay. Now, if a person is aware all of the time, so now you're at this next state. So you're not someone who engages in sin. That's the lowest level. And that, I would say, most of us, myself included, were on that low state. And if we're questioning if we need to engage in tawbah or not, we've not reached basically stage three or stage four. So we certainly need to engage in tawbah. The first state is that we perform sins with our eyes, our tongue, our, our limbs, our mind, etc. The next is that we possess blameworthy traits, we possess love for dunya. We have anger, hatred, envy within our hearts. Okay, so we know Imam Ghazali is saying that for you, obligatory, you have to perform tawbah. Okay, the next state is that uh, you are uh, heedless of Allah Ta'ala. Those times where you are heedless of Allah, those are the times that you have to engage in Allah's remembrance. Okay, so we recognize that. Now he's saying, okay, let's say that you've mastered that. You're no longer heedless of Allah. <laughs> he actually says... If a person is aware all the time, meaning they're no longer heedless of Allah, and he says, and how is that even conceivable? He's saying this as a side note. Like, how is that even possible? But okay, maybe you think you have that. <laughs> he says, okay, so let's assume you have that state. Then he, you're still not, uh, you're still not devoid of having to engage in tawbah. You're still not. He says, then he is not devoid of adhering to a low station in lieu of the higher stations beyond it. It is upon him to elevate himself from lower to what is above. SubhanAllah. Whatever he elevates himself from it, he seeks forgiveness from the station he was at previously. 
because it is a shortcoming relative to what he has reached. So as believers, once you reach this state, where now your goal is to progress in your maqam, in your rank with Allah Ta'ala, you want to go from someone who's a, you know, someone who's a sadiq to someone who's a salih to someone who's a arif, right? These are different maqamat that you could reach in your connection with Allah. So you would say that well, if you're already on that path, you've left sin, you've cleansed your heart of all evil traits, you've already also left heedlessness of Allah, now you're traversing this path, maybe I shouldn't have to do tawbah because now I'm very focused on that, but Imam Ghazali is saying, no, you're still not. At this point, your tawbah, your repentance is not going to be that you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you because it took you so long for you to climb in your rank to the next. That's the state of our awliya of Allah. This is the state they've reached. That they ask Allah to forgive them. The Ya Allah, I was stuck. Only worship, I worship you 100% of the time. But Ya Allah, I was stuck in this station. It took me this amount of time to get to that station. I'm sorry for the delay in reaching that next station. That was their degree of tawbah. Does that make sense? I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe, maybe somebody from this gathering is at that level. Most of us are not. And so it really shines a light on us that like, okay, how much tawbah have I been engaging in? If the awliya of Allah are doing tawbah for those periods of time where they were heedless of Allah, or those, that time that they spent in elevating their rank with Allah Ta'ala and elevating in their nearness to Allah, and they're doing tawbah for that, then what about me? I mean, how much tawbah should I be engaged in? I mean, at least every single day I should be turning back to Allah Ta'ala with sincere repentance for the mistakes I've made for that day. And if I've done that, then I should turn to Allah Ta'ala for the mistakes, for the, for the times in the day where I was heedless of Him. There's no limit to tawbah. You can't do enough tawbah. And the beauty of tawbah is that it, like he started in the beginning, you know, one could argue that, you know what, if I'm always um, critical of myself, then that could depress me. That could be an argument that you have. That if I'm critical of myself all the time, I'm never able to feel content with my current state, well then I could actually become depressed as a result of it and uh, I always, uh, and, and, and I'm always blaming myself for things. And blame has its own negative effects. But that's not the purpose of tawbah here. When you are doing tawbah, you're actually elevating in your rank with Allah Ta'ala. It's not that you're putting yourself back. You're actually moving in your rank toward Allah Ta'ala. So that in and of itself is spiritually and emotionally uplifting. It's very different. And what's amazing about tawbah is that when a person does tawbah, the requirement is that you don't go back and look at those sins once, they're, once you've removed them from your life. In fact, it's sinful for you to go back and lament over prior sins that you've made for which you've already sought tawbah for. So let's say you were involved in some sin when you were you know, 21 years old. And you did tawbah to Allah Ta'ala and you asked sincerely that Allah Ta'ala forgive you. And now you, know, you expect that Allah Ta'ala has forgiven you. Now when you're 40 years old, you're not supposed to go look back at the time when you were 21 and remind yourself of that sin you engaged yourself in. Because from thinking about sin comes a darkness, number one. And number two, you are uh, supposed to forget completely. So that's very important about tawbah as well. So all of this combined, you can, if you think about it, Tawbah is something that brings happiness into a person's life, not sadness. It elevates your rank before Allah. It allows you to remove that past burden. It removes uh, this, the nature of a human being to lament over mistakes that they've made in the past because you quickly are able to move forward. Okay, but the point being that everyone has this responsibility to turn back to Allah Ta'ala with, with sincere tawbah. Okay. So when he elevates himself from it, he seeks forgiveness for the station he was at previously because it is a shortcoming relative to what he has reached. 
And this process has no end. Meaning the process of becoming closer to Allah, there's no limit to it. And through tawbah is how a person advances toward Allah. So you're at this station with Allah. It's through you asking Allah to forgive you that Allah Ta'ala raises you to the next station. Then you're at this station and you ask Allah to forgive you for, your, for taking this long to get to this station. This is what allows you to progress to the next station. It's your tawbah that causes progression. And he says that there's no end to how much a believer can progress with Allah Ta'ala. And so then he says, for this reason, Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, Indeed, I sought forgiveness from Allah 70 times every day and every night. Okay, if the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whose ma'asun was never committed a sin in his life, who has no sin to repent for, or no mistake to repent for, and no time where he was heedless of Allah to repent for, why is he seeking forgiveness from Allah 70 times in a day? Why is he seeking forgiveness from Allah 70 times in a day? Because his rank can continue to elevate. For himself, we'll never reach that rank, right? But this is the Prophet Wasallam's relationship with Allah. It continued to grow. And the, a mechanism by which that relationship grew was through the istighfar of the Prophet Wasallam. Okay. All of the above constitutes repentance. However, the repentance of a general Muslim is for outer sins. This is the state of most of us, right? Most of us are here. He, he's saying that, look, however, I, I, that, the discussion we just had, that's all just academic. It's not going to apply for most people. Maybe, inshallah, it will apply to one of us one day. But it's mainly an academic discussion. All of the above constitutes repentance, meaning repentance is not just from sin, it's from everything else that we just discussed, which means no one is ever going to be free of repentance. Not even the Prophet ﷺ freed himself from repenting to Allah Ta'ala. Okay? All of the above constitutes repentance. However, the repentance of general Muslims is for outer sins. Okay, general Muslim, he says in, in this text, is the awam. The average person, the outer sins is you're going to be your focus. Work toward repenting from all of those mistakes and removing those sins from your life. The repentance of the righteous is for blameworthy inner traits. So for the salihin, your goal now isn't that you're going to remove sins. Your goal now is that you're going to remove those blameworthy traits that we talked about. Envy, hasad, you know, uh, uh, um, lust. You're going to scrub these away from your heart. Okay, then the repentance of those mindful of Allah Ta'ala, the muttaqeen, is for the occasions of doubt. So the repentance for the person who's a muttaqi, who's, who's very conscious of Allah, is for those periods of time where they may have some doubt enter into their heart. The repentance of the lover, right, the, the muhibbin, is for heedlessness that makes them forget remembrance. And the repentance of the Gnostics, which is the arifin, is for delaying progress from one situation to another beyond it. The stations of nearness to Allah have no end. So the repentance of the Gnostic, the Arif, also has no end. Does this make sense? There's no end to how much tawbah a person can do. doesn't matter what state you may reach in your life. We're the awam. We're, at the, you know, we're kind of at the bottom of the food chain. We're at the bottom. If we think that we don't need to perform tawbah once or maybe a few times in a day, you know, what about the people above that have reached all of these different states that we've mentioned? The arifin, the salihin, the muttaqin, the muhibbin. They had to perform tawbah. What about you and I, the awam? Okay, next, sec next section. Repentance is certainly accepted when all its conditions are met. If all the conditions of repentance are met, it is inevitably accepted. 
Remember what I said earlier, don't think that your tawbah wasn't accepted. If you've met the conditions of tawbah that we mentioned before and we'll, we'll talk about here, if you've met those conditions and you've now done a tawbah, it is inevitably accepted because Allah, because the Prophet said so and Allah Ta'ala said in the Quran multiple places when he tells us to turn back to him that your, that your prior life, of, that your prior sins are, are forgiven through tawbah. So one, it, it is inevitably accepted. And it's wrong for you to think that my tawbah is not accepted. Okay, just give you an example. When you go for hajj, right? They say that when a person goes to hajj and, and stays in Arafah, it's in a hadith. What's the one sin that a person can, can make uh, at Arafah? When you leave Arafah, what's that one sin that you can actually make? Anyone? Thinking Allah has not forgiven you. That's the one sin you can actually make. It's sinful for you to think, the only, for you to think that Allah Ta'ala hasn't forgiven you when you've left Arafah. So this sort of principle applies here. When you've done a sincere tawbah, right, which occurs at Arafah, but occurs on a daily basis for us, you have to accept that Allah Ta'ala has forgiven you. Something that is obvious to you if you understand the meaning of acceptance. The meaning of acceptance is that the preparation to receive the manifestation of the lights of knowledge occurs in your heart. Your heart is like a mirror that is covered and thus prevented from producing a clear manifestation by the haze and desire and longing to give into it. And darkness rises over the heart with every sin. So one of the signs that your tawbah is accepted is that, that your heart is cleansed, right? So the heart has this covering over it. And it, isn't, it, it rejects light from Allah. It rejects, uh, it rejects guidance because it has sin encompassed in it. And, and sin is what causes darkness over the heart. So he says, with every good deed, a light penetrates that heart, so good deeds polish the soul. So one of the signs of acceptance is that, that your heart begins to receive light from Allah Ta'ala, whether it be in the form of knowledge or guidance, etc. Right? So you basically have shifted your life around because now your life is guided. Okay, Repentance is to the heart what soap is to, the, to clothes. It inevitably removes filth from it if it is used correctly. Whoever repents only doubts its acceptance because he is not certain that its conditions were, filled, were fulfilled. Just as someone who takes a remedy but is not certain about whether it will take effect because he does not know whether it contained all of the requisite components. So the person who has doubt about if the tawbah has been accepted or not is that person who has doubt about if the components, conditions are actually met. If you've met those conditions, you will not have a doubt. If Meaning what's contained in that tawbah is sufficient. He says... Uh, it's like someone who takes a remedy, like a medicine, but is not certain about whether it will take effect because he doesn't know if whether it can, because what it contained uh, has all of the requisite components. So let's uh, give you an example, right? Uh, a medical example. Let's say that, you know, somebody has high blood pressure and you want to start them on a blood pressure medication. Now, everyone's different. Different people respond to different blood pressure medications. So you start that person on that daily blood pressure medication and you'll have to check them back and see, are they responding to medicine maybe a month or two later? Because you don't have yaqeen that that medicine is actually controlling your blood pressure. It isn't that you start somebody on it and they never come back and they check their blood pressure. In fact, you'll tell them, you're going to start this, you're going to check your blood pressure at home every day, and then we're going to check your blood pressure in two months or one month in our office, and we're going to decide, is this thing actually working for you or not? Right? So the components of the medicine maybe don't fit what you need. They don't target the correct receptors. But then there's other medicines that you don't even need to check back. So for instance, let's say a child has strep throat. You give them antibiotics, amoxicillin. Right? Now, the course of amoxicillin is seven, ten days, twice a day. For ten days, you have to take it for strep. The child returns back to school, 
within 12 to 24 hours, you're no longer contagious. Meaning, you take the medicine, and after 24 hours, you go back and resume your normal life. The assumption is that that medicine contains everything that's necessary to defeat that bacteria. You're no longer contagious and go back. You see the difference? So there's two different types here. So the same thing with Tawbah as well. There's that Tawbah where you're not sure if the components are met, and there's that Tawbah where you know you've done it properly. That's, that's removed the sin. You have to move on. You're no longer uh, plagued by that disease. Okay. Um, okay. Let's uh, continue to the next section. We'll, we'll, inshallah, we'll finish up in about 10 probably 10 minutes or so. Repentance is achieved by abandoning persistence. And this really applies to the awam like us. Uh, and persistence meaning persistence in our rebellion against Allah. For most of us, that means sin. It doesn't mean heedlessness. So uh, israr is, is the word that's used. That we're persistent in our turning away from Allah. In summary, the decisive statement regarding this, the treatment of this disease is that you examine the cause of persistence in sin, which, stem, which stems from one of five reasons. The first reason is that the threatened punishment... So what is the person's reluctance from turning away from sin and turning away from rebelling Allah? So he covers five main reasons why a person isn't able to properly engage in tawbah. The first is that the threatened punishment, which is a punishment that comes from rebelling against Allah, is not, quote, in cash, so to speak, and human nature tends to take lightly whatever does not exist in the present reality. Meaning, you think, because we're used to being punished immediately for any mistake that we make, right? If, we, if we're trying to trespass, we wouldn't obviously do this, but if you're trying to trespass an electrocuted fence or an uh, electric wired fence, you touch it, you get shocked, you know that you're not supposed to go there any further, right? You, you, you decide that, you know what, I'm going to drive with my eyes closed. Right? You get on the road, you start driving, within five minutes you get in a car accident, you've learned your lesson, your punishment is, is right there immediately before you. But for, when it comes to our deen, the punishment is not there immediately. We're expecting an immediate punishment, and if we're not punished, and we say, hey, you know what, I've been doing this for the last few weeks, nothing happened to me. I've been engaged in the sin for six months, and I haven't been punished for it. Look, I still have a car, I still have a job, I still have my wife and kids, I still have a home, I still have parents. You know, why do I need to stop? I'm not, I'm not able to see the punishment that's li that lies ahead. So he says, the treatment for this is that you reflect in order to know that what is coming is very close, that the remote is, is what is not coming, and that for everyone, death is closer than the strap of a sandal. Meaning, don't think that this is remote. It's actually closer than you think it is, right? He says, um, how would a person know whether he was in his last days or the last year of his life? We don't know. You know, it's very possible that today's my last day. And my punishment is actually going to begin tonight, right? If I'm entering into my grave tonight, my punishment will begin tonight. I don't know. So we don't take these chances when it comes to our deen. When it comes to sin, we immediately turn back to Allah Ta'ala because we don't know if today's our last day or not. Okay, uh, the second reason. So the first reason is because we think that we're going to be here forever, right? And this is actually a blameworthy trait. But the, one, the first reason that we, we're, we're, um, we don't turn away from rebelling against Allah is because we think we're here forever. We don't realize. Imam Ghazali is saying the cure for that is to reflect upon this fact that you will die and it's sooner than you think it'll be. And actually, this comes in the third reason, so that's why I'm not going into detail. The second reason is that pleasures and desires have an overwhelming grip on a person at present and he is unable to remove them. Meaning sometimes we're so um, engaged in a sin, we enjoy it so much. 
right? And for everyone, it's a different sin that we enjoy it so much that it's just so difficult for us to remove. He says the treatment for this is that he should reflect on the fact that if a non-believing physician were to mention to him that drinking cold water will harm him and lead him to his death, and it is the most pleasurable thing to him, how easily he would leave it, right? So if you have some, and then he says, know then that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger are more truthful than that physician, and an eternity in hell is more severe than death from an illness. So we're willing, if, we're, if you're willing to listen to your physician who doesn't even believe in Allah, right? It says that, you know what, you, you have uh, COPD. If you keep smoking, you're going to get lung cancer. If you keep smoking, you're going to be on oxygen. You'll listen. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe in today's day and age, the relationship, nobody listens anymore. But, but at the time of Imam Ghazali, presumably, you'd listen to the advice of your physician. But um, so uh, you, you would listen. At least take heed to that advice. Why wouldn't you listen to Allah Ta'ala's Messenger Sallallahu who are speaking the 100% truth? Words that come from a physician are never 100% truth. They're not even 50% truth. Right? 100% of the time, the Prophet is speaking the truth and you're not willing to listen. And not only that, the disease of this world, it'll take away your life. Your punishment is over once you leave this world. But the diseases that are contained within us that cause us to engage in sin, that punishment will perpetuate for eternity in the fire of hell. So that's what he says. Think about that in that way. The third reason is that he procrastinates with repentance day after day. The third reason is that we delay our repentance. And this to me is very fascinating, the way he words this. The treatment for this is, to, is that he should reflect and know that the gravity of eternal joy and eternal sorrow is not built on ignorance. How does he know that he will remain until he has time to repent? The majority of the screams of hell's denizens or inhabitants are due to procrastination. Look, the people that end up in the fire of hell, who are they? They are people who delayed their tawbah. Right? They are people who delayed their tawbah. Everyone that's in the fire of hell has one regret. And that regret is, oh, send me back so that I could turn back to Allah. So for you to think, so many of us, we procrastinate leaving sin or leaving rebellion against Allah. We think that, you know what, not today. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till next year. Right? Everybody in hell says, has said the exact same thing. And that's why it comes in the Quran, حَتَّى إِذَا جَاءَ أَحَدَكُمُ الْمَوْتِ قَالَ رَبِّ that when death comes to that person, they say, Rabbi Rajaun, oh Allah, my Lord, send me back. Now you recognize that there's an Allah. You didn't recognize him your whole life. And you recognize that, oh, I should have done tawbah. Send me back. So, meaning, the third reason that we the three third reason that prevents us from engaging in tawbah is that we think that we can do it tomorrow. But the reality is everyone that eventually ends up in the fire of hell thought is thinking the exact same thing. Oh, I procrastinated. If I had just done tawbah yesterday, I wouldn't have to deal with this headache for all of eternity. So there's no reason to delay tawbah. Everyone in the hereafter will have regret. It's better that we perform tawbah in this world rather than wait until the hereafter. Okay, um, I'm going to... The fourth reason is that a person promises himself generosity and pardon, which is stupidity in its utmost which shaitan has showcased to him in the guise of religion. The Prophet ﷺ said, the intelligent one is one who subjugates his ego and works for what is after that. So the fourth reason a person is hesitant to perform tawbah and turn away from sin is because um, he thinks that Allah Ta'ala is just going to forgive him. What's the big deal? Look, I can commit sins. Allah Ta'ala is merciful. Ultimately, he'll forgive me anyway. Why do I need to stop? Why do I need to perform tawbah in this world? He's most merciful, right? He's, he's Rahim, he's Rahman. We hear this from time to time. So then Imam Ghazali references the hadith and the Prophet said, he said, this is stupidity to think this. 
This is stupidity at its utmost, meaning you can't get stupider than this. If you have this mentality that Allah is all forgiving, I can go ahead and engage myself in this. The purpose of, Allah, of us recognizing Allah is all forgiving and all merciful is because we are so weak that even despite our tawbah, we're dependent on Allah. It's not so that we can perpetuate in sin so that Allah Ta'ala can expose that mercy onto us. Does that make sense? So, he says, this is stupidity to its utmost. And it's not stupidity in Imam Ghazali's words. The Prophet ﷺ himself uses this word. He says, That the intelligent person is that person that suppresses their nafs and they act for what's to come in the hereafter. وَالْعَاجِزِ The foolish one, the fool, right? The fool is... Uh, he does whatever he wants, whims and desires, right? No tawbah whatsoever, no turning back to Allah. And he has hope in Allah. Okay. The fifth reason is that a person and refuge uh, is that a person, and he says, and refuge is sought from Allah. So we all seek refuge from Allah from this fifth reason as well, is that the person doubts the matter of the afterlife. You don't believe there's an afterlife. You don't actually understand that. We have already mentioned the treatment for this in the section of blameworthy traits. You'll have to reference last year's talks. Okay, the last section, inshallah, we'll finish up by eight o'clock. Speaking of minor sins. So, so far we've mainly focused on major issues. Repentance from all sins is important and obligatory. Repentance from major sins being more important. So the major sins in life, absolutely, we have to stop those and ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us from those immediately. In fact, I would say don't even wait until Maghrib Salah today. Repent from those mistakes right now because we don't know if there's a tomorrow and uh, we don't want to regret it. Okay, persisting upon a minor sin is a major sin also. So you could perpetuate a minor sin and that will essentially equate to a major sin because you're performing it so regularly, okay? Uh, it's kind of like a minor good deed. You know, there are good deeds that you can perform that are really great deeds. And there's minor deeds that you can perform, but when you do them on a consistent ba basis, they're more beloved in Allah's eyes, right? They're more beloved in Allah's eyes than even a, a great deed. So same thing with sin. A major sin is distasteful in Allah's eyes. But a minor sin that's performed regularly, it almost equates to a major sin. So persisting upon a, ma a minor sin is major also. So there, so there is no such thing as a minor sin with persistence and no major sin where there is reform and forgiveness is sought. Continually committing minor sins has a few huge effect on the blackening of the heart. It's like drops of water continuously falling on a rock. No doubt it will eventually lead to a hole despite the softness of the water and the hardness of the rock. This is why the Surah say, don't ever think of a minor sin to be minor. Don't ever think of a minor deed to be minor. Because these things could be greater than you imagine if they're, con if they're performed at a regular basis. So imagine maybe uh, if you have a water, a tub that, um, sorry, a faucet that's leaking. And if it leaks for a month or a few months on end, what happens? You have this uh, porcelain or ceramic sink uh, or made out of rock. Eventually, you begin the, uh, you, you, it scrapes off. Chips come off. The paint comes off. How? It's water. Water from a single drop will never damage your sink. But when that little drop keeps, 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 uh, uh, keeps leaking, eventually you'll actually notice that difference. Minor sins accumulate for a number of reasons. The first reason of them is that the slave considers them minor and takes them lightly, so he, so he is not distressed on account of them. Why do, they, why do we persist in minor sins? Because we ignore it. We think it's just minor. What's the big deal? I'm not you know, drinking alcohol, and I'm not you know, fornicating, and I'm not... You know, uh, do, we're, we're doing, uh, uh, we're uh, basically analogizing with ourselves. Look, at least I'm avoiding the major stuff. Why would I focus on the minor? Okay. Um, the second reason is that hap is the happiness that accompanies the minor sin, having a good time with it, and believing that being able to do so is a blessing. 
Uh, this is to, so sometimes minor sins we enjoy doing them. So he gives the example quote, if only you could have seen how I cursed him, right? When you when you tell someone off, you want to go boast about it to your friends. We think about it as a minor sin, right? Because this is something that we take pleasure from. The third reason is that a person makes light of Allah's concealment of him and believes that it is due to his nobility with Allah. This is dangerous. He does not know that he is loathsome and that Allah Ta'ala is taking his time with the retribution. This is dangerous. When we engage in minor sins and those sins are not revealed to our family members or to our community, we think that, look, Allah is protecting my nobility right now. Right? I don't need to turn back. You know, if Allah Ta'ala is protecting me, I'll deal with this. Right? The community doesn't know. I'll deal with this. This is my issue. I'll eventually get to it. You know, and you, you perpetuate that sin. But what he's saying, and so we think that it's because, look, I'm actually connected with Allah. I'm, a, I'm someone who's very noble. I'm known in the family or I'm known in the community as someone who is, is pious or someone who's, who's connected to Allah. Look, I, every human being has mistakes. I'm going to just hold on to this one sin. I'll let it go when I let it go. But for now, Allah Ta'ala is concealing it. Let me just go about my ways and maintain my reputation. And what does he say? This is deception. He does not know that he is loathsome, meaning Allah Ta'ala doesn't like him. And that Allah Ta'ala is taking his time with his retribution so that he increases in sin and it winds up in the lowest of hell. Meaning Allah Ta'ala says, go ahead, do what you want to do because I'm going to let you perpetuate in that sin. I'm going to let you perpetuate in that sin. It's like in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says, The people in this world, we see people in this world that get a lot of dunya. And we wonder why is that Allah Ta'ala is blessing them so much. They have nice cars, they have a nice home, they, are, you know, they have property, they have... Uh, nobility, people respect them, and sometimes they don't even believe in Allah, right? Why do they get all these things? And I'm someone who's striving and I'm struggling to please Allah, and I don't get any of this stuff. Allah Ta'ala says, مَتِّعُوا قَلِيلًا I'm going to let them enjoy. In this world, go ahead and enjoy. <laughs> and then they'll be thrown, right, into the depths of Jahannam. Okay, um, and then the last thing, so I'm going to just summarize the last point he says. In summary, um, nothing motivates repentance except fear that comes from insight and knowledge. Again, in summary, nothing motivates repentance. We all need motivation to repent. Nothing motivates repentance except fear that comes from insight and knowledge. We shall therefore mention the virtue of fear, its reality, and its treatment in the next section. So in order for a person to become regular in tawbah, and we've elucidated the benefits of tawbah, the necessity of tawbah, the method of performing tawbah, in order for us to really become consistent in tawbah, it requires some degree of fear in our heart for Allah. And inshallah tomorrow uh, we'll cover through the teachings of Imam Ghazali rahimahullah what it means to truly fear Allah and how to bring that fear into our heart because that's a... Uh, praiseworthy trait. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for all of our mistakes in the past. May Allah ta'ala make us people who are tawab and regularly repent to him. May Allah ta'ala grant us all the tawfiq during these last 10 days to remove any ill from our heart and from our life. Wa akhra da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.